Hey there, it's Internet's crying wrestling fan, Dave Wells, and you're listening to the Gimme Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. These guys keep wrestling still out of me, damn it! Promotional consideration paid for by the following. This is Steve Bowtie Bryant here. Back in the 90s, I was a pro wrestling photographer for the South. And I released what might have been one of the original sets of indie trading cards. I ran across some of these original sets. They were up in Randall Fanning's attic all this time. PG-13 rookie card. Ricky Morton, George Weingroff as the Sheep, Chris Champion, Reno Riggins, Billy Montana, Gary Valiant, the Scorpion, the Medic, Rick Reynolds, Jeff Daniels, Mephisto and Dante, Ben Jordan, Steve Neely, Marcus Woodrow, Clinton Charisma, Little Farmer John. If you'd like an opportunity to get these cards, contact me now. You can get them for only $49.99. Contact me at Steve Bowtie Bryant at iCloud.com. Get your set now while supplies last. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to give me back my pro wrestling, the podcast with two brothers who love pro wrestling. And as usual, I've got my homie from home, <laughs> the plastic chic, uh, Jared Street. What's up, brother? How you doing today? Hey, brother. I'm good, man. I got this uh, new laptop working. Uh, you know, last time I had to roll it on the phone and it's just not as good coming from that and you can really tell so i'm glad to have this set up back up rolling and uh you sounding like a pro. So that's it, man. I mean, you know, hey, we sometimes we had some issues with your last setup. It's not a big deal, but we have to go with it because if we have a, a interview set up, we just have to make it happen. I've had to do it myself. I'm not happy about it, but when it happens, it happens. But speaking of Shane Morton, man, I tell you what, I've never seen an episode even, I mean, maybe Jamie Dundee on the Wolfie D show, but I have never seen an episode grow so fast and so quickly. So we're about 32. 33 episodes in now i think this episode today that we're doing and we'll talk about that in a minute is our 33rd episode and shane we dropped it at midnight thursday morning wednesday night whatever you want to call it and man that thing was just exploding and at first it was like okay I don't know. This show will probably be really good, but I don't know that all the listeners, you know, uh, some people yeah. may not know who Shane is, but boom, 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 boom. He went from third. I think it was third. What did I text you? Saturday. So it was Thursday yeah. to Saturday or Sunday. He was like number three. And then Monday, I, man, he went to number one in four days. And that's four digits right there, y'all. I'm not, I'm not a specifics guy when it gets to numbers. I just don't feel like that's something that we need to share but i tell you what he went from zero to four digits y'all a number a comma and three more numbers 
<laughs> Some people put a number and then a K at the end of it, if that tells you anything. <laughs> so I am just blown away by that. I love it. I think it's amazing. My buddy, you know, my old friend, Shane Morton, really showed out. Now, the Mortons could have all listened to it, and that would have been, you know, sev- been enough. Yeah, <laughs> sev- several hundred. No, I'm just picking. But anyway, yeah, that was that was great, and we had a great show, and it was a great, like I said, just a great turnout. Now the cool thing is, is they've come out of the woodworks, Jut. Not only has our social media grown, but also people are, you know, putting themselves out there for interviews that we may be doing in the future. Now that I didn't know that were possible, I didn't know were even somebody that would want to be on a podcast. So, yeah. So there's some cool names going to be coming up. Very similar, very, very close to Shane or, you know, in that, in that range of Shane and in that area of Shane. And it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm really excited. Some cool people, that probably will never you would never hear on another podcast just because people have slept on them or whatever but there's some really cool people that are going to be coming up i promise so that being said you know i do want to say one thing there's been a bit of sad news in the family of give me back my pro wrestling live and in color with wolfie d one of our really good listeners bob daniels good guy really good guy he's from morristown tennessee worked with wolfie d on some construction back in the day and he started out as a wolfie d listener but bob's so cool man he came over and started listening to the give me back my pro wrestling he's one of the the visible move overs you know i know there's some out there because i'm not (laughs) i love you jut and you love me and we do this with all of our heart but i know that we can't pull the numbers of somebody with the name of wolfie d but that being said a lot of y'all came over from the wolfie d show so thank you so much first for that but one of the one of the most vocal and active is our is our buddy bob and bob lost his wife wendy last week and it you know I really hate to hear that, Bob. You know, our sincere condolences go out to you from from the podcast that we do. And I'm very, very sorry to hear about losing your wife, buddy. Her name's Wendy Daniels. And rest in peace, Wendy Daniels. Hopefully, you know, you can listen to some of our shows and get a little entertainment and maybe get your mind off of it for a few minutes. And, you know, Bob, you you always are so active on the socials and you share the show, you like the show, you talk, you ask questions, you know, so definitely appreciate you, brother. You got our prayers, you know, from us to you for your family. So anyway, you know, on another note, today... This is one of my favorite topics. If you want to go back in the archives, we did a a full episode with with some other people. But this one is a little different. This one is following the Sheik's patented (laughs) give me back my pro wrestling Mount Rushmore system. And so what this is, is basically we are doing the Mount Rushmore of managers. So, yeah, Joe, what do you think about this? Yeah, man, when we were growing up, um, more so than now, you, you got to see managers. I mean, uh, you know, the LJN line, one of the first line of figures had managers with it. I mean, it had they had manager figures, uh, so it was considered an important part of the business. Yeah. And at, at some point, interest fell off in that, and um, unfortunately, you know, promoters, big wigs decided they could just uh, pay one person or two people instead of a three. So 
Right. Or five, you know, or five. Yeah. Yeah. LJN really put it out there though. Didn't they, they really did represent managers. Well, I mean, they had a luscious Johnny figure. I mean, not to not Johnny Valiant. He had a great career in the Valiant brothers, but you know, somebody like him, I'm sorry. I just don't see it now. Maybe the Pennsylvania air, maybe they care. Maybe the Northeast cares more, but maybe somebody is listening to me cussing and turning us off right now, but somebody like him, you know, they did represent with him. They had, I mean, talk about the ones they had in that line, Jared. I mean, they had Heenan, of course. They had Captain Lou, Freddie Blassie, Miss Elizabeth, Mr. Fuji, Slick. Yeah. Um, did I get them all? I seem like I'm missing one. I think that's it, but I, I may be missing one, so I apologize for that. Uh, it wasn't a planned uh, spot <laughs> to, right. to, to discuss right. the whole list, but yeah, I think that's I think that's the, the ones. Oh, Jimmy Hart. <laughs> yeah. How'd you forget Jimmy? Come on. <laughs> so you know what's you know what was always surprising to me is they never had an LJN of Moolah. I wonder what the deal was that with. Like I wonder. Yeah, but like when you thought also they would have like a Wendy Richter at that time too. Yeah, it's very true. They had a Miss Elizabeth, but they didn't have a Wendy. Now I know yeah, Wendy- Miss Elizabeth is literally the only woman. Yeah. Wendy line. was the original screw job. You know that story, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They took the title from her and yeah. So I don't know. She was wanting more money though, right? Right. She was wanting more money. And she was kind of becoming the bigger the, the female Hulk Hogan in a sense, you know. Yeah. I, I don't like it's a big comparison, but you know what I'm no, saying. No, no, no. I mean, but they were trying to kind of make her in that aspect. And then she kind of got the popularity from you know, she was on the cartoon and everything like that. So yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was an excellent line of figures and very well represented of managers. I think the Remco's had, you know, Sheik Adnan. And, and other than that, I don't remember any other managers. In Paul that, Ellering. Or, oh, Paul Ellering, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the one we actually had, I forget. So, anyway, yeah. So, so you got to help me out here. But anyway, so I'm going to kind of. Oh, Precious. Go, they had, and they had yeah. Precious, too. Yeah, absolutely. But. You know, with that being said, this is our episode for managers, the Mount Rushmore of managers. So I think what we're going to do, we're going to take a little break. We're going to play some messages. Now, I want you all to listen closely to these messages because from now on, you know, on these topic shows, I'm going to sneak in some interesting commercials. And I know y'all probably like to skip through them. And it's understandable if you've heard them a million times, but I don't want I don't think you want to skip through some of these. So I just think these are going to be entertaining and y'all are going to enjoy them. So stick around. We'll be right back with the start of the Mount Rushmore of managers after these messages. Now the best place to get all of wrestling's latest news and views is the Captain Lou Albano Wrestling Celebrity Hotline at 1-900-909-4-Lou. Shut up, Albano. Everybody knows all you gotta do is pick up the phone and get the uh, hotline results from the Captain Lou Albano, whether it's Starcade or whether it's Survivor Series. That's all you gotta do is pick up the heart, baby. It's the only place you can get the results of both events and hear from Captain Lou at the Captain Lou Hotline at 1-900-909-4-Lou. $2 the first minute, 45 cents for each additional minute. Kids, get your parents' permission before you dial. What a rush. My name is Gary Hart, and when I get out of line, I always go to the chiropractic clinic of Dr. Kevin Witt, right here in Euless. But matter of fact, anyone throughout the mid-cities or the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you're out of line, Dr. Kevin Witt can get you back in. He's your man. Hey guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color with Wolfie D, every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. 
All right, we are back with Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling's official Mount Rushmore of managers. Now, Jared, you know managers are near and dear to my heart. I was actually a manager. Got to do a little managing. I got to manage people like Dutch Mantel. I got to manage against Wolfie D. I got to manage the great Shane Morton. I got to manage against Chris Michaels. I got to manage against Hammerjack. I got to manage some great guys like Jeremiah Plunkett, Drew Haskins with the Untouchables. I got to manage so many great guys. Seven. I got to manage Ken Steele. I got to manage Spud Wade. So many awesome people loved having that time. It was a short time I had in the business, but I tell you what, I did it with all my absolute ability. One thing I hate is you never got to see me do it other than watching videos, you know? Yeah. Geography gets in the way sometimes. Exactly. And timing and things like that and and real lives. But I do wish that, you know, it it could have happened to where you could have seen me at least do it one time. But we'll get off that topic and get on this. I'm going to run down a quick list of just some of the great managers. Now, I'm going to omit the ones that are on my list. Some of these may be on your list, but I'm just going to quickly say some names and we'll go through this quickly here. So one of the guys I want to bring up since, of course, I'm now good buddies with his son, George Weingroff is one of the OGs, Mr. Gentleman Saul Weingroff. He was actually one of the original awesome managers from the 60s and just a cool guy, had a great look, you know, would have made a lot of money had he been about a decade later, really, really would have been somebody special. You know, the Grand Wizard, Ernie Roth. Now this guy, for a Northeast kid, this guy is somebody that is legendary. We were a little late for him. He wasn't in the business around the time that we were starting to watch it. But before that, 70s early 80s, Grand Wizard Ernie Roth was one of the top managers in the WWWF. So then again, one of my favorite guys, and it kind of hurt me not to have this guy on here. Unfortunately, I kind of forget about him sometimes is the awesome, classy Freddie Blassie, man. I mean, you know, one of the OG heel managers, but also a great wrestler too. Yeah, Talked about filing his teeth and stuff. It's awesome. I love those old gimmicks, and he's just so cool. Kind of a, you know, the what did they call him? The Hollywood fashion plate or something to that effect but anyway like that, yeah yeah then of course you had the devious mr fuji who was awesome and apparently a very stiff ribber and of course you had the half heel half baby face he was in the movie body slam he was the voice of mario as captain lou albano then of course mm. you can't forget about chic adnan al kc from up in the awa actually a childhood friend of saddam hussein they say you know what a crazy guy that is skandar akbar is one of my favorite favorite managers unfortunately didn't make the list but Skandar is a hundred percent probably my honorable mention he's the guy they didn't chisel in the mountain for me you know then there's Arnold Scullin the guy that was kind of a babyface manager you know I mean guy that really don't know a lot about from my era but the previous era was awesome you know babyface manager then you have of course the sweet Miss Elizabeth can't ever forget about her honestly she's the bar that all valets should try to live up to she was so great. You know, her and Sherry Martell is my next name on here. And honestly, she, Sherry Martell is the anti Miss Elizabeth. She's the bizarro Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Sherry is also probably my honorable mention. I think Sherry Martell is so extremely underrated. Think about how we hated her. Think about how many, you know, we called her Scary Sherry. I mean, dude, that was so great. You know, she was so good. And of course, you had with her in a lot of cases, especially in WCW, had Colonel Robert Parker, who was Robert Fuller from the Continental in Knoxville. You know, longtime wrestler turned manager, had a very big Parker, I've heard. But anyway, we'll... (laughs) 
The next one there. And then, of course, you had the beautiful baby doll, Miss Baby Doll. Maybe a future guest on Live and in Color with Wolfie D. We'll see. Kind of been back and forth on that. But she was awesome. She went back and forth between the horseman and Dusty. And sometimes Dusty would save her. There was one promo where I'm pretty sure Dusty talked about making her a woman. We'll just glide over that. <laughs> drop, <laughs> drop the action figures. Action figures. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Bobby, the then of course you have Bobby the Brain Heenan, which in any list or any Mount Rushmore, Bobby the Brain Heenan could be just the one on the mountain. You know, Bobby the Brain Heenan's got to be on there. You know, Bill Dundee was a great wrestler manager, turned into a manager as well. Eddie Gilbert, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert with Hot Stuff International. Can't forget about him. Kind of had a blend of, you know, Eddie Haskell, or a little bit of Dennis the Menace, and also kind of some Jerry Lawler in him. It, it was great. Eddie Gilbert was very underrated. Would love to see what he would be doing today. Then, of course, you had Frenchie Martin for the Montreal guys up in, in the WWF. And then you had, of course, the genius Lanny Poffo. Now, this next guy, you know, is my buddy, and he's an upcoming guest on Live and in Color with Wolfie D. He's a friend of our friend Mayor McCall from the Wrestling Talk podcast, Mr. Downtown Bruno, a.k.a. Harvey Whippleman. I tell you what, I loved Bruno. I think Bruno is a great man. I have his number in my phone. What a cool guy. What a great guy to talk to. Has a million stories. Maybe a future guest of this show. But with that being said, I just feel like I was kind of a little older at the time but had bruno had had harvey been in the wwf when we were kids i have no doubt that he would have been a great and and hugely hated manager right. for us oh yeah you know, but he kind of came in the 90s. You and I were getting a little bit older. We didn't really, we didn't live and die by wrestling as much at that point. But great manager and a great person. I can't wait for you to hear that interview, man. His He goes off on a 10-minute rant against Eric Embry. That is the most hilarious thing <laughs> you've ever heard in your life. Uh, you can't forget about Paul Jones' army also. Paul Jones was a great babyface wrestler, loved by many in the mid-Atlantic in the 70s. Honestly, I think he wasn't a great manager he wasn't a great promo but he had a great army i mean you had the ivan you had the russians you had the barbarian the powers of pain warlord you had baron von rashke i mean you had so many good names and they all hated the boogie woogie man i know that for a fact you know <laughs> <laughs> now you can't ever forget about kevin sullivan now kevin was one of those player coaches as well it was so funny i never thought he mixed you know he, he had his his own gimmick early on and you know he'd been managed by jimmy hart gary hart i mean so many great managers. He was a Florida championship wrestling guy. He was an NWA guy, but he, he ended up coming over in the Mid-South purchase or the UWF purchase and just a just a cool dude a great interview hopefully we can get him on the show sometime and honestly he was just so good at his job as is not only a manager but a a wrestler too you know then of course you have the the great valets such as Luna Luna was amazing you know just such a imposing figure came from a family of wrestlers Mad Dog Vashon the Butcher Vashon you know these great wrestlers and of course she was going to be an awesome wrestler and manager. Then, of course, you had people like Sonny and Sable who were there not really for their talent. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> or their talents maybe got them here. Who knows? But then, of course, you can never forget about that. it's me, it's me, it's DDP. And DDP was honestly, you know, to me, 
it was so impressive because he was the hope that everyone could do it. You know what I mean? He was right. the guy. Now, of course, he's like six eight or six six or whatever, and he's got a great, cool look about him. But he also became a pro wrestler at thirty six after being a great manager with the Bad Company and and the Diamond, you know, Diamond, diamond. Stud. Yeah. What was what was it called? Was it the Diamond Exchange or what is it? Yeah, the Diamond Exchange. Thank you. And then, of course, you can't forget about somebody who I think DDP kind of reminded me of, in a sense, Mr. Oliver Humperdinck. Humperdinck yeah. was a, another one of those guys that we didn't see a lot of, but whenever we saw him, he looked cool. He did the part, you know. Another guy you can't forget about, Paul Bearer, of course, but I remember him first as Percy Pringle, you know. So Percy Pringle, the Texas manager who, I mean, is just so, I mean, he wasn't Gary Hart to me. He wasn't wasn't Skandar Akbar, but he was absolutely important. And he was kind of the, where Gary and Skandar were not necessarily the chicken hill. You know what I mean? He yeah. played he played that part very well. So then, of course, you also can't forget about the babyface or heel manager Paul Ellering. You know, I mean, come on. He managed the, the Road Warriors. And by manage, we mean he managed, you know. Managed their lives. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you go into Precious and it's people like that. And then you can't forget Ron Wright from Kingsport, Tennessee. They call him the king of Kingsport. Really came into focus for us during the Smoky Mountain years. Always in a wheelchair and stuff. And then, of course, you can't forget about Teddy Long. Guys like him, you know, very important. Managed Doom, you know, had some great times. You know, also reminds me of Woman there. You know, Woman also managed Doom. You can't forget Nancy Benoit. Woman, oh, woman, won't you marry me? Marry me now. And then, of course, you had people like Slick, you know, the Reverend Slick, who actually kind of came in at a time when, you know, he was just a great manager and had some great guys under his stable, too. Then, of course, you can't forget about the ECW managers such as Beulah, Francine, and, of course, you can't forget Fonzie, old Bill Alfonso, Mr. Whistleblower himself. Now... You out there in listener land know that I've forgotten somebody on that list. This was not a comprehensive list. This is just a list of names that I felt like had to be mentioned in in the in the chase for the Rushmore of managers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you did a great job including a lot of people. I mean, I had some names I was thinking if you didn't mention them, I was going to bring up. But you got you got everybody I was thinking of. The, okay. uh, the only the only one I, I think. I was thinking of that you might have missed, and maybe you maybe you said it and and you didn't. But uh, think about gold dust. Yeah, Terry Runnels. Terry Runnels. So yeah, can't forget her. Absolutely. Or or I mean, she was she was very instru- yeah. yeah she was she was very instrumental in the gold dust character getting over. Um, oh, as totally. Part, as part of her. She should have been on that list, and I forgot her. And again, well, no, I mean that's the only one I really think you missed. And I, I but I'm sure there's somebody else. So, well, you know, you had people like Deborah, you know, and and some people like that. Who, but you know, at the same time, we could go into a million valets, and you know, this list it should could if you were wanting to add a valet to the list, you could. But but I feel like valet is under the manager umbrella. I, I feel like to to not call Miss Elizabeth a manager is wrong. I feel like to not call Luna Sonny and Sable a manager is wrong because they you call them valets valet to me is like the chicks that walked out with with Rick you know or 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 somebody like that you know you're not looking if they get involved in the match in some way somehow they're a manager to me you know so all right so with that being said and that list being covered Sheik 
why don't you go ahead and give us your very first person on the official Mount Rushmore of managers? So my first guy on the list is not known to have a lot of different wrestlers that wrestled under his umbrella. And he's really probably known for one specific tag team. It's Paul Ellering. Well, well. And Paul with his Wall Street Journal twisted up in his hand, uh, clutching that, was the epitome of a manager because he managed their bookings. He managed their, I'm sure he managed flights, hotels, whatever. He was their manager. Hawk and Animal thought of him as an equal to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And very much fought to get him paid like an equal to them as well. And can you imagine uh, getting paid like an equal to the road warriors had to be pretty good at times. Mm-hmm. You know, he did, you know, have the author of pain and uh, NXT there. And the biggest screw up they ever did was when they brought him to the main roster, they kicked him to the curb and you know what fans, I think responded and kicked them to the curb. Yeah. Uh, as far as enjoying their stuff. So I, I don't know that they were destined for greatness on the, main roster of WWE anyway, but I don't think it did them any favors to have them crap on Paul Ellering basically on, on, on raw. So, but R- Paul Ellering, uh, he seemed as, you know, maybe not as tough as a road warrior, but he seemed, he seemed like the toughest manager probably that I can think of. Um, uh, you know, you might come up with somebody and be like, Oh yeah, that's true. But as far as a full-time manager, who got in the ring occasionally, but didn't that he seemed like he could handle himself. Um, and that's what you needed for the road warriors. You needed a, you needed a manager that seemed like they could handle themselves. Yeah. They, that could be that third guy in a fight. I mean, he could have easily jumped in there if they did a trios match with the free birds. I mean, you know, dusty had a thing about putting himself with the front runners. If, if dusty, you know, felt like I'm not talking bad about dusty, but dusty did have his own ways when he was booking about putting himself with front runners and, you know, and there's no problem with that. We love dusty, you know, but you know, dusty kind of filled in that spot, but Paul Ellering could have easily jumped in there and been that third man. I mean, even if he's just heck if if jimmy hart was the manager of the road warriors they could do a (laughs) three-man team you know so right but yeah i love paul ellering and you know he's um you know he's uh, he's the uh last of the of the road warriors last of the legion of doom and you know if you if you ever uh if you've not seen like dark side of the ring about the, the last ride of the road warriors but the eulogy that paul ellering had for hawk's funeral if you hear that, it's so poetic and moving. Um, it's it's definitely worth a look up if you haven't um, heard it before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was such a man of words. He would be sitting back there reading the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, the Stock Exchange, whatever. But he was he was a very intelligent man and always knew what to do and and how to do it. And you know, he was a villain. He was a heel at first and, and kind of came up as a wrestler and, and became the manager of LOD. And he was really, um, they they were the three men of the Legion of Doom, you know. And I almost wonder if his, you know, their requirement for his paycheck to be similar is the reason he didn't immediately come in with them to the WWE. Have you ever heard that story about why he wasn't with no, them? I hadn't really heard that, but I know they tried to, 
put that friggin' puppet with him. And... Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. That was so weird. I mean, yeah. What do you even, what do you even say? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a shame that he didn't really get a, a go with him in the uh, Federation. Yeah, I mean, for me to to say he was probably, as a child, our favorite manager. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, definitely, yeah. There was nobody else that was an upright manager, a, a guy that would scrap and go at it. And I mean, maybe you know, maybe other managers came in and we were forgetting about him. But I think probably Paul was our earliest favorite manager. You know, because all the other ones I mean, we hated. Captain Lou was out there a lot. We might have liked Captain Lou somewhat. Uh, sure, sure. But, you know, not as cool as Paul Ellering. No, definitely not as cool. <laughs> yeah. Paul's great. You know, it's so sad to know that those guys are gone now as far as Hulk and Animal, you know. I yeah. I wish that I wish that there were, you know, guy those guys lasted forever, lived forever, but unfortunately it doesn't. They lived hard. They came through this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, my first one is I'm going right to the to the big one for me. And I, I got to say this with all honesty. When I was doing my manager, you know, there was a couple guys that I modeled myself after. The first guy when I did Prince Omar was Skandar Akbar or, or Sheik Adnan or somebody that effect. You know, it was better to do Skandar because Skandar never necessarily acted like he was Middle Eastern, you know, but being, as I said, I'm obviously not Middle Eastern and <laughs> be as it may, I, when I lost that gimmick and, and I love that gimmick because a lot of my mentors like that gimmick, but uh, my favorite, when I became Jimmy street, I modeled myself after this man. And to me, there's no more there. You know, there's a great managers, Bobby Heen and Jim Cornette, Jimmy Hart. Those guys are absolutely Mount Rushmore managers. But to me, my Mount Rushmore of managers, you got to include the one and only playboy, Gary Hart. Now he was born Gary Richard Williams in 1942. He started wrestling in Chicago, but in the late 60s, he actually ended up retiring from in-ring wrestling. He came to Georgia Championship in 74. He was managing guys like the Spoiler and the tag team, the Spoilers. One of my favorite wrestlers, Don Jardine, was great. He actually survived a plane crash in 75 that's pretty legendary. They landed in Tampa Bay. It was piloted by Buddy Colt. He saved Buddy Colt and, and, he, and actually while dealing with several, I mean almost 10 different injuries, Gary saved Buddy and Austin Idol out of the water but he was unable to save bobby shane and that actually stuck with him all of his life he felt like he had a darkness over him for not being able to save bobby shane in 1976 he started booking for big time wrestling which then turned into world class shortly after he managed kambuki one man gang gino hernandez abdullah the butcher al perez and it was called new age management i love that name i always thought that was great in 83 to 88 he worked in georgia championship and mid-atlantic he also worked for the blanchard's territory in southwest managed brody kevin sullivan mark lewin and some great names i mean he just already has a great roster of names under his belt 
He came to Crockett after World Class closed in 88 and formed the JTEX Corporation with Terry Funk and Great Muta. Muta! We did a watch along of that. Muta. Muta. And I tell you what, you know, he feuded with Flair and the Horsemen and Sting and so, you know, mainly they were the heels. And if you turn the Horsemen babyface, which, you know, the fans did that, honestly, if you work heel against the Horsemen, you know you're a heel. You know, yeah. in 1990, he started Texas Wrestling Federation and actually tried to revive world class with Chris Adams and calling it World or WCCW2. <laughs> Pretty yeah. bad, actually. In 1999, Hart officially retired. And he, unfortunately, he died on March 16th, 2008 of a heart attack after a signing that he went to in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And actually, the WWE put him in the Hall of Fame in 2020 in their legacy wing. You know, something about Gary to me that was always so cool is even though he didn't do a demon or evil or some, some kind of supernatural gimmick, he always had a sinister ability and sinister look about him. It actually kind of seemed a little scary. Maybe it was... You know, for different reasons, but to me, Gary Hart was one of those guys that he seemed like he was a real deal dude. Now, I've talked to several people. We've had Greg Gagne on the show. It was an outtake. Didn't include it in the episode because it really didn't fit, but he didn't like Gary Hart. My buddy George Weingroff said Gary Hart was fine, but didn't he kind of had an ego about him uncle tony my buddy uncle tony falk on the live and color with wolfie d show actually knew gary loved gary called him uncle gary because he, he did a cool thing for tony he took the boy tony gimmick off of him and made him a cowboy didn't want to see him do the boy george gimmick which tony falk hated and to me gary hart is one of those guys that should be considered on the Mount Rushmore of managers, but usually isn't just because he kind of started booking more and took his name. You know, he worked in other territories far from WWF, never officially actually worked in the WWF. But to me, Gary Hart un unquestionably is one of the greatest. He, he's, you know, there's a Twitter channel called Gary Hart Presents, and I, I highly implore you to go follow that because they're always putting cool little videos and clips. Listen here, Daddy, Abdullah the Butcher. Gary had a real kind of rap about him. He definitely sounded of the streets. He carried a straight razor in his pocket to keep the fans away, which to me, a tennis racket is much more is much smarter, but a razor blade will certainly get the job done. Get the job done quicker. Yeah. So anyway, they, to me, Gary Hart has got to be on the Mount Rushmore, and that's why he's my first one. So what, what's your thoughts on Gary? Well, I, I think the trouble with Gary Hart for a lot of people is in the golden age of wrestling when Hulkamania started and the Four Horsemen started from there, I think he was on the latter part of his career as right. far as being very noticed. And so he's more of a, in some ways, he's more of a territory manager. Right. And, and I think that hurts when you see that. And, and you know, you'll, you'll not see as many territory managers on our list because uh, it just, you get overexposed with national exposure and you see those people and you have more memories of those people. Yeah. So yeah. It, it shows what a student of the game you are though, to, to have uh, reverence for such a person, such a manager like Gary Hart. I have memories of Gary Hart managing, but not, but you were a little older. You have more, you've studied him more. 
Um, so it just shows, but he's very compelling. Like you said, he looks into the camera, like, I don't know, sinisterly. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. And his voice has just got such a good, he could have been a uh, Scooby-Doo villain if nothing else. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to make the listeners a one-time offer. Okay. This is a one-time offer and it may get us in trouble, but I don't care. If you go on there and you send me a screenshot of a review rate a review if you send me a screenshot that you've left us a review or you've subscribed to us and commented something that you've done for the show i would really love to see a review on either apple podcast or spotify you know in some way i would love to see something like that if you can send us something that shows reviewing us or something to that effect i will send you in an email a copy of the very, very out-of-print Gary Hart book. It comes in a Word document, so don't expect pictures and all that, but it is the book, (laughs) and it's a manuscript almost. I will send that out to you via email to any person who sends us a screenshot that they've rate and reviewed the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling podcast. How's that for a deal, Judd? That sounds like a good deal to me. And the Gary Hart do, book. Do I need to, in, I'll, I'll get on that and I'll send it to you. That I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I got you taken care of. But I tell you what, that book is incredible. And it's very out of print and very expensive. The only person I've ever known to own one was Joe Cephas. Joe actually owned the real copy. And I saw it. And on his shelf, and he let Tony Falk borrow it. Tony was in the book, and they talked about Tony. And anyway, but yeah, I tell you what, somebody wants a copy of that. Now, again, it's not the hardcover gimmick. This is just literally a Word document that they've done the book on. It's basically like a manuscript almost, but it is the full book. If you do that, you show me you got you you did a rate and review for us, whatever. Do something positive for the show. I'm not asking for much. If you send me a screenshot of that through direct message on any of our socials, I will send you a copy of the book. I promise via email, not by a mail. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my offer for the show. And that, and that is my guy, Gary Hart, Jared, who's your next manager. So I'm probably going to catch some heat with my daughter for this one. Uh, but, <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> um, Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman is the last true manager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least right now, I know those guys in AEW, I appreciate what they do. Arn, Jake, all of them, uh, whoever else you want to get. But the last true manager, in my opinion, is Paul Heyman. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love his work back to the dangerous Alliance. Um, you know, his work at ECW, he wasn't really a manager at ECW, but he kind of was the manager of ECW. If you want to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was the, he was the figurehead of ECW, the, the rebel and everything like that. So it, the work he's done for Brock Lesnar, uh, amazing. Uh, you know, he, Brock doesn't need to speak because of him or hadn't need to speak in several years because of him, basically. Right. Uh, you know, the, and then to turn on Brock and go with the bloodline and everything he does with, uh, reigns of the Usos and the, even Sami Zayn and solo. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. And he, he, he's so trusted 
in the by Vince, I think, and and by WWE in that instance to get to get to, to help get those guys over. Um, it, it's amazing work that he's done, and, and he's he's so good on the mic. He's so clever. Um, you know, one of my favorite clips of him is uh, <laughs> when our truth a few years ago came out to the ring and was like, I'm going to enter the Royal rumble so I can throw Paul Heyman over the ropes. Our <laughs> <laughs> truth makes Brock Lesnar laugh on TV. So I know, I know. So, so when you break Brock Lesnar, you probably did something. Yeah, uh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but it's pa- just so, but, but Paul is- just looks at him like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Our truth is so underrated and so underused. I don't know what's yeah, going uh, on with him right now, but it is sad. That he's, he's injured. Not- I think he's injured right now. Gotcha. Okay. You know, the first time I moved to Nashville, we're getting there. We've got the U-Haul, and I'm pulling up to a sit-go. It was right there near the road that we were living on in East Nashville, and we were all moving there, my band and everything. And we pull into the sit-go, and I'm I park the car, and the guy Justin, that was our buddy, he was driving the U-Haul behind us and he's getting gas in that thing and I'm going in the sit go and I'm walking in and just as I'm walking in you know when you walk into a door at the same time with somebody it's kind of like you get well our truth walks right by me with his t-shirt off he's like six four probably jack to the gills and i'm just like holy crap that's our truth that's nuts i I know this isn't about our truth but that was a funny story so paul Heyman, to me we're smart marks you know we are we we're smart to the business we know that it's fixed we know that it's you know a deal but at the same time Paul Heyman, I hate him. I hate the the the, the little like <laughs> yes, my tribal chief. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> whenever they turn Roman baby again, whenever he becomes a baby face again, and I feel like when he becomes a baby face, he'll probably be a baby face for the rest of his career. But right now, he's got an excellent heel run, and I got to give at least ninety percent of that to Paul Heyman because you know he's kind of got that tweener kind. Kind of vibe about him, you know, but yeah. Paul Heyman makes him a complete heel, and I just can't say, yes, my tribal chief. Oh, yes, yeah. I love you, my tribal chief. What can I do for you, my tribal chief? You know, he's so evil and so bought in, and, and the beauty of it is is it's, it's is it ruled by fear or, or what, but he, he does the job well, and you're right, he is the last true manager, unfortunately. To me, to me it feels like he's always willing to switch sides to get the better deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that makes his character. That says his character. Yeah. He would take the next best deal if it were going to keep him safe and get him money. You know what I'm saying? Right. for a decade, for a decade, it was Brock Lesnar, you know. But you go back to the Paulie Dangerously guy. That guy was awesome too. And honestly, my favorite version of him was Paulie Dangerously. Again, he was kind of like Downtown Bruno, Harvey Whippleman, you know, those guys. It was kind of as we were getting older, and it was a different era of WCW. You know, Jim Cornette had quit. Paulie Dangerously was kind of doing his thing there. And yeah. Anyway, long story short, yeah, what a great guy. What a great manager, I should say. I don't know about guy. <laughs> yeah, I did have his home phone number for a long time, if you remember that. So, yeah, on the color, on the old school color ID. Yeah, how awesome of a faction was the Dangerous Alliance? Oh man, think about the workers in that, dude. It's it's Rick a Reeves, Bobby Eaton, Steve Austin, Arn Anderson. Oh my goodness, Larry Zabisco. I mean, Larry I mean, Zabisco. That- oh, I forgot. <laughs> 
Rivals the Horsemen at their very best. I mean, to me, the ultimate faction is always going to be the Horsemen. But you, the the Dangerous Alliance, had it been five or six years earlier, dude, uh, I'm telling you, that's that's a tough faction to beat right there. Or had it been like in the Attitude Era, like 97 to 2000 of the WWF, I mean, holy crap. I mean, like. Wow. Yeah. That would have been different, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, just with Paul E. with them, oh, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. But Paul Heyman, I, I hate him as a character, but I love the fact that he still has managers. Um, and I know he's the advocate or whatever, but he's a manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's a definite manager. And he's, you know, if you were to say the ultimate Mount Rushmore and not just our opinions on who's the best, you know, you probably definitely have to include him as an all time, you know, that's, that's a no question right there. He's up there. If he, I mean, if he's not on the four, he's like, he's like plotting to get one of the four replaced by him. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Well, Speaking of plotting and and being on the Mount Rushmore of, of of the true Mount Rushmore, this guy is the Southern Paul Heyman, or maybe Paul Heyman is the Northern Jim Cornette, and <laughs> this guy is the goat. He's one of the goats. If you were to make a list of the ultimate managers, you probably have Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman, you know, Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, probably. Those are the guys, right? And 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 you may have some other guys you can argue to put in there. I certainly do, and I think you'll hear about them here in a second. But for the entertainment value of this episode, you and I did omit names that should be on everybody's list, you know. And we agreed to separate two names. <laughs> yeah, you got one, I got one. We'll go into it later, but yeah, we'll 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 explain that later. But Jim Cornette, to me, I couldn't make this list without having him on here. And you're gonna say, well, what about the other guy? You're right. I couldn't really make the list without him. But hey, we had to. We're brothers. We made the deal. So just yeah. to go into Jim Cornette here, the Louisville Lip, you know, is one of the greatest of all time, no question. He started as a photographer and ring announcer, and he would actually sell his photos to Bill Apter in the magazines back when that was a really big deal. Jerry Jarrett actually gave him his first managerial job, and he wasn't even allowed in the locker room up until that point. So he had literally been working for like a decade at the shows as these things, ring announcer, which is, it's not uncommon for the ring announcer to not be in the back. It's, you know, the photographers usually aren't in the back, but he wasn't ever even allowed in the back until he became a manager and then the door opened for him his first manager he was actually a manager of another eventual great manager miss sherry martell that was his first and so his gimmick was the rich kid who mama gave him everything and at first he actually had a losing streak so it was basically like he was a really horrible manager but he was a rich kid so that's how he got his guys and this was all you know in memphis and stuff he worked as co-manager with jimmy hart because jimmy was the top dog and and honestly really in the memphis territory it's it's tough to have multiple big managers you know and you know in 83 he ended up going to mid-south in a trade okay listen to this so mid-south got from memphis they got 
Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, Jim Cornette, and the Rock and Roll Express. And for that trade, Memphis received Rick Rude and Jim Neidhart. Okay. So pretty stellar trade of some huge names, some of the greats, you know. And he started using the racket at that time, essentially for fan protection, because he was out there by himself. You know, it's always interesting for me to hear about what they use for protection and stuff. So the feud with the Rock and Roll Express came after the midnight. Express that they had formed with Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton actually came after they won the tag team titles and there was a celebration in the ring with a cake and the Rock and Roll Express came in and shoved Jim Cornette's face in the cake, which is hilarious. Go look that up. It's it's awesome. His way of thinking about the business, he credits Bill Watts for. Basically, Bill thought you know, you needed to be rough and rugged and tough. And he liked the big guys, but you know, it really, he takes a lot of his opinions and his core wrestling values from Bill Watts style of booking. You know, he came to Crockett in 85 after a short stint in world class, didn't really last long there. There were one time NWA tag team champions had some great feuds, but really from 85 to 87, it's Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. Well, Condry ends up leaving in 1987 and they take on in probably one of what I would call the smoothest transition for a tag team ever is Stan Lane. In a total, they've won the NWA world tag team title titles twice and the u.s tags three times i loved how dave milliken explained the reasoning for all these titles too you know it explained that it made sense to have all these belts because they were running to house shows towns, and, yeah. yeah different towns so cool great i never thought of it at all like that yeah which makes sense you know why they would have those titles but also why aew has a million titles and they don't even run house shows you know but anyway so he actually he hurt his knee very badly in the starcade 86 night of the skywalkers match where big bubba was supposed to catch him but unfortunately did not catch him (laughs) and you think if if big bubba can't catch you that's trouble man you're 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 not you know, and essentially Paul Ellering had chased him up on the scaffold and he decides that it's easier to jump and fall. It was really kind of a fall, you know, but I love that match. I know it's bowling shoe ugly as, as Jim Ross would say, it's not a great match, but I love that match, you know? And uh, so he started being color commentator in 89. And I think he was actually awesome at that job. He, you know, of course he can talk a mile a minute and he was such a great interviewer too. And a lot of times when the heels would be out there, Jim Cornette would be the, the mean gene for WCW as well. He actually quit WCW in 1990 because of Jim Hurd basically thinking low balled him an offer or whatever, but it was right after Halloween Havoc 1990. He and Stan Lane both left. Eaton stuck around and actually got, you know, probably given a, a little bit for his time for doing that. And then he ends up starting one of our, you know, favorite promotions of all time, Smoky Mountain. He started that in 91. He started managing the Heavenly Bodies. Who The Heavenlies, if you don't remember, they would actually go to WCW and wrestle. They would go to WWE and wrestle. I mean, all kinds of places you would see the Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette. And they kind of became kind of like a a semi-feeder system for WWF. And then in 93, he he started in WWF, the Camp Cornette, where he was working with people like Vader, Yokozuna, you know, some, some great names. And then in 
99, he actually ends up working in OVW, you know, with Danny Davis's organization up in Louisville. And then he worked until he was fired in 05. And and he had been suspended several times. And, of course, at this time, OVW was fully WWE's, you know, minor leagues, developmental. And he, you know, slaps Santino Morella. I think Anthony Corelli was his name. And I think he, he slaps him for not selling enough and I mean it's just you know that sounds like something Bill Watts would do you know and he starts working in TNA in 2006 and actually led to his hatred of probably his current and all time worst enemy in Vince Russo he's still never probably gonna make up with him Uh, he worked in Art Ring of Honor in 2009 he worked in NWA he worked in Major League Wrestling MLW to me he's one of the most you know one of the greatest managers of all time but he also had times where he would do booking he would he would be on the creative he would do announcing color commentating actually got himself in trouble for a joke about ethiopians and chicken and nwa and he was fired you know in one year he was fired from there you know he's actually quite liberal you know in his politics so it's it's funny that he's not which is odd to me honestly it's odd to me for the, it's funny that he's with not his, very PC, his, you know. Yeah. But where where you think of liberal, you know, mindset of being a little more PC. But the, the main thing about Jim Cornette now is is he's probably you know the the greatest podcaster going in wrestling. I mean, you've yeah. got several out there that are on a high level. Chris Van Vliet. You've got you know, of course, the Conrads ad free shows. You know, podcasting empire. But to me, a guy that kind of stands on his own and, and it probably is the number one man. I mean, he's consistently number one on the charts is Jim Cornette and, and he's had a podcast forever and he's such a natural fit for a podcast. And honestly, he's the, the goat of podcasting, I would say. Absolutely. So not, uh, not only is he the goat of, of, of managing, he's probably the goat of podcasting as well. So, but anyway, yeah, Jim Cornette, man, how much did we hate him growing up? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, despised him growing up you know we were fans of rock and roll uh so every time we saw him with the midnights it was immediate hatred i mean so yeah he he did his job i mean like there were grown men and women probably wanted to fight him at every event they went to and yeah i mean he literally would put a horseshoe in that tennis racket too so don't mess with him so (laughs) yeah but i mean he, he did his job so great and you know obviously we had to separate some so we uh we could i couldn't have him on my list for that reason but he he is definitely top one or two managers of all time no question Uh, no question i don't think i don't think anybody and you know limited amount of people he managed i mean really just midnights and and the heavenly bodies is the main ones i mean there are other people yoko right um, vader stuff like that vader but honestly his best works were, were with the tag teams and yeah, it's amazing to see what he's done. And, uh, it'll be amazing to see if he outlives Vince Russo and lives up to the promise that he's going to piss on his grave. So <laughs> <laughs> he's going to action figure on his grave. Yeah, that's it. Action figure. Action figure. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. If that la- if he if he lands, I'm sure he'll tell us about it on his podcast. Again, you know, Jim is known by people that I'm close friends with, and I've heard he's he's just a, such a knowledgeable historian, especially of Louisville. But he knows so much about other wrestling too. So that's what makes him such a great podcaster. But anyway, that being said, for the first two on each of our lists, I say let's take a quick break here and. Again, don't skip the messages. I promise you're going to want to listen to these. And we'll be right back with more from the official Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Mount Rushmore of Managers. No matter where I am during the week. Each Sunday morning at 11, I'll be right here with my guests. So join me for the Jerry Lawler Show, Sunday mornings at 11, here on TV5. Hotline now with all new programming. Mondays, Lance Russell travels America for those hard to get interviews. Tuesdays, find out what Joe Petticino knows. Wednesdays, enter the danger zone with the unpredictable Paul E. Dangerously. Thursdays, dig up the dirt with Eddie Gilbert and Missy on Hot Stuff. Fridays, it's the provocative Jim Ross Report. And weekends, it's live in WA action. The Wrestling Hotline. Call 1 900 909 $2 for the first minute, 45 cents thereafter. Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. If you're a fan of rock music, I'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to check out my podcast. It's called the Decibel Geek Podcast. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. We talk about Kiss. We talk about Ozzy. We talk about Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Metallica. We talk about all the legends from the 60s and on up to brand new bands that you should be hearing about today that you're not going to hear on the radio. It's Decibel Geek. Wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find us there. If you love rock and roll, I can almost guarantee you're going to love my show. And we are back with more from the Mount Rushmore of managers. And Plastic Chic, you go first. Go ahead and give us your next one. Well, my next one is such an amazing story to how he became such a great manager with the person he's most known for managing. The person that's next on my list, real name, William Moody, mm-hmm. better known to all of you as Paul Bearer. Or it could be Percy Pringle. First of all, did you know that his name, Paul Bearer, was given to him by Road Warrior Hawk? No, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> I didn't know that either. But he was so he was basically mentioned to Vince McMahon by Rick Rude that he had that he was a real life mortician. Mm. He had a real life license, funeral director mortician license, mm-hmm. and then somehow Paul Roadway Hawk gave him the name Paul Bearer. Well, which of course, a play on the term Paul Bearer. Yeah, it's a. But just for the fact, I mean, like when I first found out, and it's only like a few years ago that he was a real life funeral director mortician. And 
and he was the manager of the Undertaker. I was like, my goodness. I was like, <laughs> how how funny things in life work that that he was uh, that. But you know, he started out as a photographer too. It, it was in you know smaller promotions and everything like that. But he then became Percy Pringle um, in WCCW and in Championship Wrestling in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he managed people like Rick Rude and. Others, but you know, recruit. I think he had was it Gucci recruit or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. So before he was ravishing, he was Gucci. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but he and he was good as Percy Pringle. I don't, unfortunately, have as much memory of him. I mean, I remember seeing him as Percy Pringle uh, sometimes. We didn't, you know, we just didn't watch WCCW. Like, yeah. Um, like what well, do we you did. remember? Yeah. Do you remember when uh, Percy, Paul Beer kind of stopped dyeing his hair black, stopped putting the makeup on his face, and he became mm-hmm. Kane's manager more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like he kind of morphed both of them into one at that time. I feel like Percy came out a little more, and Paul Bear kind of took about 50%. Anyway, I feel like he was a little half and half there. He did that head shake with his hair that would move. It was amazing. He was so good. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, he, you know, of course, was perfect as the manager of the Undertaker. Um, that creepy, like, oh, my Undertaker. Undertaker. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, no matter how talented the rest of the managers on the list were, I don't know how many of them could have pulled that off and, and been, like, convincing as that. Like, he was creepy to see yeah. him to be like... Like, oh my goodness, this guy's creeping me out. Like, because people don't want to think about death anyway. And then for somebody like kind of throw it in your face to think about death, it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. But then the storyline where he switches and brings in Kane and has mankind against, I mean, it, it's so good. I mean, like, that storyline is bonkers that it worked. I know. I know. The whole thing from just The Undertaker, which I know he wasn't the ma- Undertaker's original manager. That was Bruce Pritchard, a.k.a. Brother Love. Right. But he was quickly brought in as The Undertaker's manager. Right. And right. it's just to think that that gimmick got over. Mm-hmm. And then not only that gimmick got over, that gimmick got over another character in Kane. And, and it essentially got over Mankind, too. I mean. Right. Right. So it got over three huge superstars in that all-time greats all-time all-time greats i mean Mm -hmm. like give me undertaker kane and and mick foley slash mankind and you mean you might can have the field and i'm still gonna do pretty good against you i mean yeah seriously (laughs) seriously i mean that's some that's some yeah big dudes that can you know really take you on there it's just so great to that the work he did with with that it's why he's on my list well, to me, you know, it'll always be Percy Pringle. But again, Paul Bearer, just again, one of those gimmicks that really like he didn't even have to live the gimmick. He already was the gimmick. And, you know, yeah. absolutely one of the all time greats. Cannot question that. If you were to move one guy off of uh, Mount Rushmore and put him on there, I, I don't know how people could argue with it. I, you know, he was a territory manager early on, and I do feel like that limited him, but then when he came up there, it was beautiful. You know, The Undertaker actually got Kane because he went down to Smoky Mountain and wrestled him as Unabomb, and, you know, then he said, well, we gotta bring Kane up as soon as you can, and then he goes, dead. The, 
Dr. Isaac Yankum or whatever, but Paul Bear, I tell you, he was so, so smart and so good on the microphone. And even though he was sometimes doing that affected voice that he was, oh, Undertaker, that everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks yeah. they have the best imitation of. But, you know, <laughs> to, to me, I've heard he's a great guy too. I've, I've heard he's really funny and, and just a, just a great guy to be around, but, but also just, you know, <laughs> he, my buddy Ken one time told me he saw he met him at at a convention and they were going to the elevators together and he he was was getting on the elevator and he said hey mr you know mr pringle i think he's what he called him or hey paul or percy how are you doing he was like buddy i'm doing good but i gotta take a (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny well you know take it from us way too early too 58 years old absolutely yeah, I mean, he could still he would still just be sixty eight. I mean, like if he was alive today, that's not even that's not old, you know. That's not old at all. Yeah, yeah, and it's just sad that these guys don't last as long, and makes you want to take better care of yourself and try to live a little longer yourself. Because think of the guys that we've lost that are so massively important. You know, to me, when you think about. Would The Undertaker have gotten over as much without Paul Bear? Possibly. But did Paul Bear help him get over? Absolutely. You know, was his mouthpiece when, at a point when it wouldn't have made sense for him to really talk, you know? You know, rest and be Undertaker, you know. I can't do an imitation of Undertaker. But anyway, he was so good and just greatly missed. And a a definite deserved Hall of Famer and definite deserved to be on the Mount Rushmore of managers. Absolutely. Go ahead with your number three, brother. Well, my next one is also one of the all-time greats. You cannot have a somewhat Mount Rushmore without including him. And he possibly was the luckiest manager as well because he got to manage the Four Horsemen, the most powerful name in professional wrestling. James J. Dillon. He's born in 1942. And he came in the ring at at the age of 29. He was in wrestling. Actually started out in the early 70s as a referee, but he soon transitioned into a wrestler and then eventually a manager, winning many championships and managing a variety of wrestlers. He made his Madison Square Garden debut in April of 84 when he challenged Tito Santana for the WWF Intercontinental title. If you didn't know about that, that's interesting. He actually ended up losing by pinfall after the flying burrito from Santana. He's most remembered in pro wrestling probably as a manager, though. He guided so many wrestlers to singles and tag team titles, especially in the NWA. He really started out to me, I remember him managing Tully Blanchard first. And really, in the early part of the Four Horsemen, he would only come to the ring with Tully Blanchard. And it's cool because I've actually done that before in my managing time. You you have a faction, but you really go out with just one guy. He kind of singles out the storyline a little bit, you know? He achieved his greatest success, though, as the manager of the Four Horsemen, which at that time had consisted of people like, oh, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Tully Blanchard. Oh, who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah. The Nature Boy. Woo! 
Ric Flair. And so he managed him for a long time, but ended up leaving WCW in 89. And then he ended up serving as the front office executive for WWF until the 1997. And then in April of 97, he actually returned to WCW in a very important on-air commissioner role. Honestly, he was the voice of the good guys. He was the, you know, the foil to the NWO. He, he made the end he made the NWO face sting. He made Hogan face sting. You know, it was so important that he was there as that on-air commissioner role to kind of keep things in check. And honestly, I loved seeing him there at that time. He, he did a really good job as that. And he actually kept that job until 1998. And then he would return again in 99 before his final departure in 20. 20- in 2003, actually, Dylan even had a short stint as an NWA representative for TNA. He made some some appearances in 09 here and there, one, one-time appearances. In 2019, though, Dylan joined the board of directors of the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And on March of 21, Dylan actually returned to TNT TV to act as manager for Tully Blanchard on an episode of AEW Dynamite. In 22, Dylan makes an appearance on the Judge Steve Harvey episode with wrestler Kevin Sullivan in a dispute about some money that was owed from back in the day. He's several-time tag team champion, actually won the Florida heavyweight title, uh, the NWA Florida heavyweight title, NWA Florida tag team, television champion, several different titles that he's won throughout the years. He's in the NWA Hall of Fame, the class of 2014. He's, you know, he's actually in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame class of 2013. He was a PWI Manager of the Year in 82, 83, and 88. And probably one of the most important is he's 2012 Hall of Famer as a member of the Four Horsemen. He's actually written a couple books. He has a podcast here and there. Not sure if it's still active. But to me, J.J. Dillon is most importantly as that fifth horseman. You know what I mean? He was that way that they could lose without them losing. You know? And... I remember, you know, him getting his shoulder broken badly in the in the, in the for taking the doomsday device. Right? Was that it? Yeah, that was. I think. Yeah. Wasn't it in the cage? Was it in? It the It was cage? in the cage, which is kind of crazy, anyway. Oh gosh! But he was the one that could lose for the horseman without the horseman taking the fall. You know, he he could tap out and give up, and and it would be okay, and and the horseman would save face. He was just an ultimate class manager to me yeah he 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 reveled in the good times but he also took the bad times with class i was gonna say he he just seemed like kind of we were talking about paul ellering earlier he seemed like the like inverse of paul ellering like Mm -hmm. not he seemed like the bad guy paul ellering he was a businessman he probably studied up on stocks he he was he gave the guys financial advice he he could get in the ring he wasn't really coward. He wasn't really a cowardly manager. He was the manager's like, you hurt me. I'm going to sue you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, he, yeah, I loved when he would use his shoe. Actually, Jeremiah Plunkett talks about that on the episode we did with him back in the day that I would, we, we used that role because I had one of those slip on shoes and we would take my nice floor shine shoe off and, and crack people in the head with it. And then he'd give it back to me. And that was a total JJ gimmick, you know? Yeah. So, but, but he did such a great job with the horseman. Uh, he seemed like, <laughs> 
he seemed like their CEO, I guess, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. Like he was the, the, the suit of the company, you know, of the yeah. team and, you know, in a team of great suits, by the way. But <laughs> one thing I liked about JJ too, was he also managed Buddy Landell, which was going to end up a weird situation that he was going to manage Buddy against Ric Flair in the battle of the nature boys. But unfortunately, Buddy had some demons and, and they caught up with him and, and he didn't end up happening or when it did, it wasn't as big, but you know, JJ Dillon, man, he was he was a great manager and to me is an underrated manager. A lot of people don't put him on their lists, but to me, he's one of those guys that really, you know, almost like an Oliver Humperdink, you know, mm-hmm. a guy that doesn't get thought of enough. But to me, JJ's got to be on there. And we were going over our lists and we were like, this guy, this guy, okay, you take that guy. Just, you know, and again, we're doing this so we talk about different people. We don't want to do repeats. I mean, obviously, there's we one. We could have had three. We could have had three. Uh, we could have had three for three, basically. Three for three, easily, no question. And we decided to to kind of take, you know, here's you, you you take this guy, I take this guy. It's like we're playing with action figures, right? Back in the yeah. day. Action figures. And, Speaking uh, of action figures, I have a pretty sweet Build-A-Fig, J.J. Dillon, in my hand right now. That's awesome. What what did that, what, how old is it? It came that? with like a WCW set of nice. Mattel. Like there was a Sting, Booker T, Flair. Everything like that, and you had to buy all of them to get the parts for JJ. So that's awesome. Was, yeah, it, it fits right in with our conversation, doesn't it? And it was it, unplanned too. <laughs> it was totally unplanned. I like that. Yeah, yeah, JJ. You know, some people have said that he was. You know, like I think somebody joked about his podcast that it was you know great to fall asleep to and stuff like that. But you know, JJ is a very detail oriented man and has some great stories. And to me, is one of no doubt the one of the greatest of all time for sure so okay unfortunately for me though i think podcasts are not something i want to sit and lay in bed and listen to either because people talking gets repetitive over time no matter how exciting the story is it can be easy to fall asleep too yeah for sure you're right that's a good point anyway well what's your next one brother so my next one i saved the best for last i've got the number one guy here born raymond lewis heenan November 1st, 1944, with none other than Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, yeah. And if I was truly had just, if somebody asked me on the street who my favorite manager of all time is, it would be Bobby the Brain Heenan. He was a natural performer in all aspects of the wrestling industry. You about can't tell me something he wasn't, you know, if, if you can think of something he wasn't good at in the wrestling industry, let me know because we'll need to see it. Uh, we'll need to see him do it to be the judge of that. Yeah. Um, he started in 1965 as, right. uh, in Indianapolis promotion, WWA, uh, as a pretty boy, Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had his first match against Calvin Prince Pullins. Hmm. And here's, here's what's wild to me as good as I think he is in the ring, but he never had any training in, I guess he got just on the fly training or he just picked up on by watching people. He could handle the, the physical so well. I mean, probably, Mm. probably the best manager of all time to handle the physical as, as a manager. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, he got into the AWA and he's kind of big, you know, with Nick Bockwinkle. But before that he was credited with like making black Jack Lanza, like one of the biggest villains in the country. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, He's just so awesome as a heel manager, you know, with Nick Bockwinkle. That's a team. Uh, the Heenan and Bockwinkle like with the 
And, you know, he had Ray Stevens as the tag team with Bachwinkle there. Yeah. And, and, you know, he he was, you know, a lot of people then remember his stuff with Lennon Family, Andre and King Kong Bundy. You know, he had Rick Rude, Big John Studd. He had, I mean, the Paul Orndorff, Kim Patera. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. The Brain Busters, Haku, King Harley Race. I mean, Mr. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nature, so many. Nature Boy, you know. Yeah, Nature Boy. I mean, he had, and the, you know, he had an individual feud with Hulk Hogan in, in a way. I mean, like, right. a mouthpiece that was so great that, you know, he, he always he always had that heel persona. And the, and the only th- one of the things I hate, I guess, about the NWO era of WCW, and it's one of the very few things I hate about that era. He was really hamstrung as an announcer when the NWO came along because they didn't really want him to be the heel man and the heel commentator. I mean, anymore, they wanted him to be, you know, more for the WCW company and everything like that. So I think it took some of the best, uh, verbiage out of his arsenal. Right. And, you know, you know how I love his moments with, uh, gorilla and everything like that. You know, all their great comedic duo. Will you stop? Mm-hmm. Uh, he has one of our, you know, my, one of my all time favorite lines when Hogan was, uh, coming out as a surprise at Bash at the Beach 96 and everybody's going crazy and he's like, yeah, but who's side on? I know. <laughs> Hulkamania! Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! You're damn right he is! Go get him, Hulk, sir! Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir! Get him, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now. Who's bad now, boys? Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is he doing? Oh, my God. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look at this picture. Oh, my God. What the hell is going on? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You just what have I been saying the all these years? Huh? What have I been saying all these years? Oh, you know, oh my can... God. A career it's... of a lifetime. It's... Right down the drain, kid. I hope you love it. Can you you see just little, sold your soul to the devil. See those little hulksters with the tears rolling down their face right now? We are not going to even acknowledge that three count. Now what happens to us? What happens now to WCW? There was no three count. I never thought I would say that he's yellow, but he may be wearing red, but he's wearing red and yellow. What do we do now? What a uh, low. I'll tell you what. Oh. This is a... Unbelievable situation right here at Bash at the Beach. Hulkamania, the third guy with the outsiders, betrayed WCW. Can't talk. I told you so. Enjoy it, my friend. You gotta look yourself in the mirror. There you go, that's right. I never thought I'd see people throwing debris at Hulk Hogan. Hogan. It's just like, it's just like, what are you talking about, Bobby? It's obviously, he's on our side. (laughs) What are you talking about? He's not with the NWO. Right, right. The baby faces are just like, are you crazy? What are you talking yeah. about? And, uh, Dusty Rhodes is like, oh, what are you talking about? 
Now, there was some magic when he and Dusty were on the commentating as, at the same time. There was some magic there for sure. Oh, absolutely. Because you had Tony as the straight man, but then you would have Dusty and, and Bobby. If you think about it, there's some real magic there. I'm sure that if you were to just go through and listen to some excellent stuff, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Bobby to me is is guy. I, I feel bad that he's not on my list, but we'll kind of go ahead and let everybody know. We we to do these Mount Rushmores correctly, we want to do different people, like I said before. But you took you you said okay, you pick Bobby or or Jim, or maybe I gave you that option, and then we've got a future Mount Rushmore that we're gonna do. And you were like, okay, you take you pick one of these two. So it's like there's some yeah. guys that have to be on your list. So don't take offense that he's not on my Mount Rushmore. It's solely for the purpose of entertainment that he's not I would certainly have him on my Mount Rushmore who I would take off I don't know that would be an uncomfortable conversation but Bobby Heenan is on anybody's Mount Rushmore and if he's not you're wrong you know so I'm sorry (laughs) love you mean it yeah it's yeah if if Heenan and Cornette aren't on your Mount Rushmore you're doing something wrong yeah and and again Heyman's an argument Jimmy Hart's an argument there's so many names on there one thing that I agree with you totally Bobby was excellent at bumping. Bobby was so good at working. You know, I would almost say that he's one of the greatest workers of all time, being that he could work the people so well. And Mm -hmm. again, he was great in the ring. He had very good talents in the ring. I mean, even up until the point that he worked the warrior in the weasel costume, you know what I mean? It was kind of a repeat repeat match that he had done in, in AWA, but he did that match with Ultimate Warrior, which, you know, probably scared him to death because at that point, you know, he's getting older (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's like, oh, my God, they're putting me in with a, a maniac. You know what I mean? Hell but yeah. I will, I'll say this. any Anybody who is coming up today and wants to be a manager, I would say this list that we're giving you right now is something that you would want to seriously look at. You always want to be yourself. You know, you definitely want to get your own thing and be your own person. But if there's anybody that you can take and watch and really watch film, especially if you're a wrestler turning into a manager, there's nobody better than Bobby Heenan as far as that goes. Because first of all, good luck. You know, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're not really booking managers these days. But other thing is good luck of trying to be as smart and as talented as Bobby Heenan because he's one in a million. Even Jim Cornette said Bobby Heenan's the greatest of all time, you know, and, and a lot of people would say Jim's the greatest of all time. It, you know, if you were to put them in a hat, I think Jim would would bend the knee to Bobby because, well, Jim's probably a fan of Bobby first, but. Second, Jim knows what's up, you know. We did a short, a sheep short on YouTube. Go check those out at GMBMPW on the YouTube channels. And if you look it up, you'll see that there's a little clip that we did where Jim Cornette and Bobby Heenan meet in the ring. It was kind of a rare time. You never really got to see that and never seen that before because of them working in two different companies. But, you know, Bobby puts him over big and says something to the effect of like the greatest manager. I love him. He's my favorite manager, whatever. But Jim, I'm sure that made Jim feel like a million dollars. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You could tell he was, he, you could tell it really meant something to him. Yeah.
<laughs> I mean, tell yeah, me that. that tell me that right there. You heard our, our theme song behind that because that's what we have to do to get our shorts to stick to YouTube these days. But anyway, that clip is awesome. It's one of my favorites, and it truly shows the respect that these two men had for each other. And you would almost think that maybe Bobby would think less of Jim because Jim's working in NWA. Jim's doing it. He's a Southern guy. But Bobby truly showed his his respect for Jim. And then when Jim said that line, to me, that gives me chill bumps saying, you know, I'm only the greatest because you're no longer doing it. You know, dude. <laughs> Tell me oh, that perfect. Yeah, tell me that doesn't give you the feels, you know. So, oh man. But talking about Bobby, we could go on and do an entire episode about Bobby. And if y'all want us to hear, you all want to hear deep dives about these people, let us know. Maybe in the future we'll do little little full episodes about these guys and really break them down to the to the nth degree. But you're, there's no question, Bobby Heenan's the greatest of all time. So my next guy on the list is also considered one of the greatest of all time came from the territory system as well but really shot to prominence in around 85 but this is the mouth of south jimmy hart jimmy is so cool because to me he has that element that i had he came from rock and roll into wrestling and you know he did it on a much bigger level than i did but funniest thing my buddy josephus ever said to me is he said you love gary hart your name is jimmy why not be jimmy hart and then there was a pregnant pause. And then he said, oh, wait, <laughs> Joe was always the smartest one in the room. But to me, Jimmy was always one of the greatest managers in the room. Like I said, he was named the mouth of the South. He was actually in the gentries in the 60s. They had a hit called Keep on Dancing. Don't believe me. Ask him. He'll tell you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> he started in Memphis in 1978. He actually knew Lawler from going to the same high school, Memphis Treadwell High School there in Memphis, Tennessee. He started the first family of wrestling to work against Lawler. He managed great names. Listen to this list, Judd. Just as the first family managed Hulk Hogan, King Kong Bundy, Rick Rude, Leaping Lanny Poffo, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, Ox Baker, Kamala, Macho Man Randy Savage, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Iron Sheik and Kevin Sullivan, just to name a few, managed Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler in that massive storyline in 1982 that really kind of started what I consider sports entertainment. He was working in Memphis, and then, of course, Hillbilly Jim actually recommended him to Vince in 1985. He became the mouth of the South at that time, actually started using the megaphone as his cane or his tennis racket or whatever. He managed Greg Valentine starting out, but then he also somewhat managed King Kong Bundy, The Missing Link, and Adrian Adonis. His real start for me, his real seriousness started in 85 when he started and he put together a team called the Hart Foundation. To me, it was always confusing because you had Jimmy Hart and Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, but they were not related you know, like Jimmy and Brett and Jim were not related. Jim and Brett, of course, were related by marriage as Jim had married his Brett's sister. But anyway, always had a heart in the name and it was actually real, you know, wasn't yeah. something that was made up. He then ended up managing the Funk family around that same time. It was Dory Funk or Hoss Funk. Terry Funk, Jesse, Jimmy Jack Funk, which was actually Jesse Barr from Memphis. Then, you know, and this is something I didn't remember exactly, but did you know the Honky Tonk Man actually was a baby face starting out? Do you remember that? I guess it just is 
such good work as a heel. It's yeah, so he ended up turning heel in 86, and that's when he came over to Jimmy Hart. Actually had one of the longest intercontinental title reigns up until recent history with Gunther. But Honky Tonk Man kept that title for a long time. In 1988, the Hart Foundation ended up firing him, and he started managing the Rougeau family, the fabulous Rougeaus. And they started working against the Hart Foundation and stuff. And he managed Dino Bravo, Earthquake, you know, the Nasty Boys. The Natural Disasters, Money Incorporated. I'll always remember when he brought a ringer out of the crowd and the Ultimate War was doing a push-up contest and ends up the earthquake sits on him and Dino Bravo was doing the, you know, the whole deal. It was great. I love that. And then he ends up managing the Mountie who, under his managerial role, the Mountie actually snags the Intercontinental title from Bret Hart. And then he turned face to manage Beefcake and Hogan after Beefcake took a parasail boat to the face or something mm-hmm. horrible yeah. and it almost killed him it's, you know but some say beefcake's never been the same but some say he was never the same before that but he left for the WCW with Hogan in 94 when they had actually shot a TV show that we've actually done the first two episodes of with our buddy James Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> exactly. Probably song <laughs> written by Jimmy Hart. We'll get to the songs in just a second. He ended up turning on Hogan when the Giant came in and they formed the Dungeon of Doom with Kevin Sullivan. He was actually the active manager for all of those guys, which just made sense that he was a heel manager, you know. He worked in team. DNA in 03 to un, uh, 2011 in an undisclosed role. He actually was an on-air character early on, but then he kind of went behind the scenes. Who knows what he was doing? Possibly writing music, possibly doing some backstage direction. Anyway, he was in an undisclosed role till 2011. He signed a Legends deal with WWE at that time, and he actually went on the show called Legends House, and that was awesome, even though it wasn't, you know, something that is like must-see TV, but it had a great, you know, Pat Patterson. It's pretty oh, good, though. It's Pretty good though for all the just for Piper alone. For what it was. Piper, you know, they weren't really even that great of friends, but they became huge friends after that, you know. And then you kind of see Jimmy Hart's a little bit quirky, especially with his food, you know. One of my favorite moments of that show is when Piper makes Howard Finkel move out of the the, the spot in the limo. He's like, that's not your spot, buddy. Yeah, that's my spot. I work for that Or or, or it's anybody else's but your spot, basically. Yeah, you're not sitting there, Fink. Sorry, buddy. Well, in the 2000, the WWE put him in their Hall of Fame. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, like we said, he started out with the Gentries in the 60s of the Keep On Dancing song. But one of the things that a lot of people know but always didn't know at the time was that Jimmy wrote a lot of the music, be it, you know, with Jim Johnston or his buddy J.J. McGuire, especially in the WCW days. But let me tell you a few songs. Of course, he wrote probably one of his biggest songs ever was Sexy Boy. That was, you know, to me, that's probably his biggest wrestling song. But he also wrote the Four Horsemen song, the... Anyway, I'm trying to save from a YouTube block there. <laughs> then, of course, you had the, the Heart Attack song, which is the Heart Foundation song, that great guitar solo coming in. Then, you know, did you know that he wrote What a Rush, the LOD song? Oh, wow. And, I didn't know yeah. that. 
And then he, he he had a song back in Memphis called We Hate School. He had a song that he did that's also legendary, Monday Night Memories. If you've ever heard that, it's great. It, it, it reminds you of olden times, especially being a, if you're a Memphis fan, and I know a lot of our listeners are. And, you know, he, he did some awesome songs. Now, one of my favorite couple of songs is you and I loved the wrestling album and then the Piledriver album, right? You and I oh, both. Yeah. Great, great albums. And those albums were there essentially for, to showcase some of Jimmy's work, too. The first one on the first album was the Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. And it was an answer to Jesse's Girl, basically. And honestly, I like it better than Jesse's Girl. I love that song. <laughs> you know, and there's a great clip of him on the Slammies where he's totally ragging the band the whole time. And, you know, they're playing a track. They're not really playing the music at the time. They're lip syncing along. But anyway, the song is a great song but he did it as an answer to Jesse's Girl. And then, of course, the other one, which is a very underrated song that he wrote, is Girls in Cars, and that was the Strike Force song. Weirdest song for a tag team, because, I mean... Yeah. We love girls in cars, you know, and, you know, anyway, he didn't sing that one, but I, I, I feel like he had a strong role in writing that one. And then he was really known for writing all the great songs in WCW, especially like Man Calls Ding and then the Steiner Rise or whatever. And then the Hulk Hogan American Made. And I mean, he wrote all those songs. But long story short on that, Jimmy Hart is just such a lasting legacy as far as his role in the in the industry of wrestling. And, you know, to, to me, he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore. Even if you put him very last, he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore because he has a lasting legacy that he can be a heel manager and a babyface, which a lot of these guys on this list, they, they really can't do that double duty. You know what I mean? Jimmy Cook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he, he's, he's a talent, and he's the mouth of the South. You know, he was just as good with – he had the same character, basically, whether he was the heel or the babyface manager, it felt like. Can you do an imitation of him? <laughs> hey, Hulkster, baby. Hey, 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 man. Hey, Hulkster, how you doing, baby? We're going to go out there and get him. Yeah, Hulkster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a Mickey Mouse kind of thing. very good. Yeah, baby. I, I, I mean, almost. You, That's why. Yeah. Love you, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come to the Hulk Hogan's Tiki Bar. <laughs> Sing some karaoke. Him and Macho Man might be the two uh, top people to always be in character ever. Ever. Always. Ever. And good for him. But, you know, Jimmy is not a young man. He's actually getting up there in his age, and he still goes at it. He most recently inducted Andy Kaufman, of course, in Jerry Lawler's stead because Jerry couldn't be there due to his recent stroke, which, get well soon, King. But anyway, Jimmy, to me, is just evergreen, and I, I God bless him, you know? Hope he lasts yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, yeah, and, and to me, I mean, that's that's the list, right? That's our Mount Rushmore, brother. Hey, not too much arguing on my part. I, I would have to say we did a pretty good job. I'm sure there are some people who have different tastes than us on some people. Yeah. But that's all right. That's all right. It's Right, uh, right. We'll forgive it. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and so just to kind of do a little double duty here, I want to actually read some of our listeners. So I posted this on our, our Facebook group. Of course, you can see it at GMBMPW on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that. I want to kind of read some of their answers here. So as I posted the very first one, I said, coming soon, we're giving you our Mount Rushmore managers. We know ours, but who you got? Don't miss it. Here's who some of the people posted. That was kind of cool. So of course, Shane Morton, that guy, he posted Prince Omar. (laughs) He said he was one of the best. So that was really cool of Shane to post something and especially that one. Then we had a listener, Travis Smithson, who said the brain and Paul Heyman have to make the list. I think that's pretty true there. As you know, Jason Pruitt, my old buddy Prune, he gave us one. He said, Cornette, Paul Bear, Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan, Bobby Heenan. He's putting them on there. And then he gave an honorable mention of James Rock Street. I don't know, man. That's, that's <laughs> pretty People high. You over. I know. It's pretty high. High compliment there. Then Keenan Brown, listener Keenan Brown, he's a great guy. Always chat with him and Messenger and stuff. He's always sending me funny stuff. He put Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, Jimmy Hart. Sherry Martell, Paul Heyman, pretty much no question there. And our buddy Rick Reynolds, who's forsaken, we heard Shane Morton talk about him on there. He put Chris Danger there, good manager in the local scene. Of course, our buddy Jeff Daniels, he's got the always excellent, one of my favorite managers, Skandar Agbar. And then, of course, he puts his own manager, Dominique, on there, who in the Nashville and in, in the scene, whenever she was with him, she was awesome. Jeff, thank you for posting that. And then on our Instagram, which is again at GMBMPW, great listener and friend of the show, strongman storytelling, Mr. Tim Fox. He's actually one of those guys that comes to churches and rips like telephone books in half. He's that legit. He's no weakling. He bends steel bars and, and all kinds of fun stuff. He posted his manager choices on there, which were Jim Cornette, Bobby the Brain, Paul Heyman, and Jimmy Hart. So our listeners agree with us here, you know, and it's awesome to see that, you know, we didn't miss the list too far, at least in their opinion as well. You know, I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back to wrap up the official Mount Rushmore of Pro Wrestling Managers. It was the 7th of December. Wrestling stars were in the sky. All America was watching. Expectations were high. On Dusty Rhodes, on Ric Flair, the Midnight Express 2, Barry Windham, Animal, and the Fantastics. Boo! Clash of the Champions 4, Seasons Beatings, live at 8.05 p.m. Eastern on Superstation TBS Wednesday. Seasons Beatings to all and to all, a good fight. (laughs) Hey everyone, this is Shane from Insane Shane's World. I release wrestling figures of enhancement talent, mid-card wrestlers, and wrestlers that you never thought would have a figure available. So if you are interested in adding a really cool and rare figure to your collection, then don't hesitate to contact me at shamtheman73 at gmail.com. That's S-H-A-M-the-man73 at gmail.com. You can also join my Facebook group. Just search Insane Shane's World.
I tell you, Sheik, when we're talking managers, you know I'm a talkative man. So this episode's been a little bit longer than expected, but honestly, what a great time we've had, especially talking about the managers of pro wrestling. But I just want to, you know, thank you. We did this together, so I appreciate you coming up with a great list and us having a great time. If y'all like these Mount Rushmore episodes, let us know, right? Yeah, keep let us know, and and by all means. It's not over. Time's not over to go on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and list your your favorite managers. Tell us who you like. I mean, yeah. we're sure we miss people, and we're sure there are other people who have different opinions than us, but we, we like to hear them all, so let us know. Yeah, and also, if you have any ideas on who you'd like to hear, or you're here if you if you'd want us to hear about a Mount Rushmore of ours, you know, if you want to say Mount Rushmore of of rings or Mount Rushmore of you know whatever, we've got another Mount Rushmore coming up soon that we won't talk about right now, but think it'll be a great one for especially people of of the big the bigger stuff. Let's just say that. But we've got that coming up in a future episode. Of course, we'll have more interviews and all kinds of fun times. But I tell you what, I'm about pooped out today. As always, thank you so much, Sheik, for coming on with me. Hope you've had a good time as much as I have. Yeah, man, I've had a good time. Always a good time. And of course, being my co-pilot in all this, I can't not have have you involved with me. Nobody wants to just hear me talking. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> not even Michelle? <laughs> no, definitely not her. Anyway, so thank you all again for listening. As always, thank you all again for just really listening so well to Shane Morton's episode and his story. I'm telling you, some people posted that it was the greatest podcast they had ever heard and i'm just like wow Wow. i was floored by that yeah so thank them so much for that thank you shane for sharing the show and and really putting it out there like you did definitely if you have not heard that and you're listening to this one go back and listen to the shane morton go back and listen to cassidy riley jeff daniels dave milliken chris michaels you know definitely listen to the hammerjack that one's comedy gold and damn but yeah We will be back again for another episode in a couple of weeks. We thank you all so much for supporting us once again at GMBMPW on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Go subscribe to that YouTube, guys. It means so much to us. We're trying to hit a 1,000. It really would help us out and put us in a different level. Thank you so much for those who already have. Once again, the Gary Hart book offer still stands. Show me something that you proved. You can DM it to if you prove that you did something like a review or rating or whatever and subscribe you, to us on YouTube subscribe to us on YouTube if you do that I'll send you the word document of the Gary Hart book we ain't playing no game we ain't no toy we ain't no puppet and again may get in trouble <laughs> But I'm going to do it. So that's the offer out there. I'm telling you, it's a it's an out-of-print book. You can't get it for less than several, probably several hundred dollars now. So anyway, once again, we thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to the Mount Rushmore of Managers episode. So for the plastic sheet, Jared Street, I'm his brother and host, Jimmy Street. We'll do this next time, and y'all take care. Thank you all again. Don't forget. Fight, but always have a manager in your corner. There you go. (laughs) With a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life.
This has been a James Rock Street production.